I'd like to take a moment to thank my mom for listening to every episode. Now, my mom is the real reason you're listening to this show right now, but the sponsors have a little something to do with it as well. So I'd like to thank our sponsors too. Clio, Scorpion, TimeSolve, Alert Communications. As the largest legal-only call center in the U.S., Alert Communications helps law firms and legal marketing agencies with new client intake. Alert captures and responds to all leads 24-7, 365 as an extension of your firm in both Spanish and English. Alert uses proven intake methods, customizing responses as needed, which earns the trust of clients and improves client retention. To find out how Alert can help your law office, call 866-827-5568 or visit alertcommunications.com slash LTN. It's the Legal Toolkit with Jared Correa. With guest Ron Godier. Special guest appearance by Patrick Correa for the return of Correa Family Stories. And we share that one trick to winning your case opposing counsel doesn't want you to know. But first, your host, Jared Correa. The Legal Toolkit Podcast is right now. Yes, the rumors are true. I'm your host, Jared Korea. Steve Allen was unavailable, so you're stuck with me. As always, I'm the CEO of Red Cave Law Firm Consulting, a business management consulting service for attorneys. Find us online at redcavelegal.com. I'm the CEO of Gideon Software, Inc. We build chatbots so law firms can convert more leads. You can find out more about Gideon at www.gideon.legal. Before we get to our interview today with Ron Godier, I have something to discuss. A lot of folks are continuing to sit idly by while the pandemic happens to them. And by folks, I mean business owners. But if you're a law firm business owner, which you likely are if you're listening to this podcast, it should always be time to innovate, especially because the bar is so freaking low. My rule of thumb is whenever I think the bar is too low in terms of law firm business management, I lowered some more. And it's worked so far. But I digress. Let's not even talk about innovation, actually. Let's set the bar at just plain being slightly more aggressive than you're being right now. Now is actually a great time to take advantage of one market inefficiency. And that's that law firms have recently been very reluctant to hire. What does that mean? It means that there's a large talent pool out there. Lots of new lawyers with excellent grades who didn't get those plum positions they were hoping for and that they would have gotten in other circumstances. Lots of experienced lawyers looking for a change of scenery. And man, aren't we all looking for a change of scenery right now? With the number of attorneys in the market for jobs and fewer law firms hiring, guess what? It's a buyer's market. So you should actively be looking to acquire talent. But do it quick. Summer's coming, and people are going to be sticking around in their jobs once the summer hits. Nobody wants to do anything in the summer, ever. Stone cold lock. But who knows what September is going to bring, honestly. With the craziness of the last year plus, I'm not feeling so odd about making any predictions. So yeah, expect the unexpected. But lo, what else has the pandemic wrought? The rise and acceptance of the distributed workforce. Gasp. 
So while other law firms reluctantly adopt work from home, you should be leaning into it. Use it as a tactic, as a lure to acquire talent. As you'll shortly learn more about from our guest, millennials especially love working from home because they can control their own schedules in part. And let me let you in on a little secret. Everybody likes to control their own schedules. All people. That's not a generational thing. While we're on the subject of schedules, while we're talking about differences to different employees, what people value, how about your location? All of a sudden, it's not super appealing to be in a big city. And if you do want somebody to relocate and to work in an office setting, perhaps, running a law practice in a vacation destination like Jackson Hole isn't that much more compelling now than it was. People are literally fleeing the cities. Let's also do some simple math. If you're looking at a talent pool within driving distance or commuting distance of your office versus, I don't know, the whole fucking world, I'd say you have a better chance of finding the best talent within that wider talent pool. I've just got two more tips for you, that's all. One, hire the lawyers last. They're restricted by jurisdiction, they are more expensive, and they have more baggage. You're a lawyer, you know. Two, when you do hire the lawyers, and that's only after you build out a staff and automate your other processes. We'll talk about that one some other time. Talk to career development professionals at targeted law schools, like maybe the ones with highly ranked programs in your practice area, and get some help. Get some hot tips. Those folks are really helpful. They're willing to talk. And they may have some perfect fits for your law firm just waiting to be found. All you have to do is ask. Now, get out there. Be aggressive. It's a new world. Take advantage of it. Go hire like a boss. This is your moment. Now, stay tuned because we're about to bring out our guest, Ron Godier from HireWorks and Intelligent. I just talked about the present of work. So, Ron and I are going to talk about the future of work. That's next. But first, let's take a moment to listen to the Clio Legal Trends Report Minute. In 2020, 7% of legal professionals let go of their commercial office space in favor of maintaining a virtual practice. And another 12% are unsure if they will keep their commercial office spaces in the future. I'm Joshua Lennon, lawyer in residence at Clio. There's no question that beyond the pandemic, clients will still look for the convenience of remote meetings and online communication. Already, 56% of clients prefer video conferencing over a phone call. For lawyers, this presents a major opportunity to reduce overhead, saving upwards of $10,000 per lawyer in office expenditures. The cost savings here can both help with firm profits and be passed on to clients. To learn more about these opportunities and much more for free, download Clio's Legal Trends Report at clio.com forward slash trends. That's Clio spelled C-L-I-O. Okay, everybody, it's about time to get to the hot cream in the middle of this deep fried Twinkie. How's that for an analogy? Let's interview our guest. 
My guest today is Ron Godier, who is the Principal Consultant of Law and Legal Services at HireWorks and the founder of Intelligence, an online magazine and community focused on improving talent acquisition in law and legal technology. Ron, welcome to the show. Hey, buddy. How are you, man? Pretty good, man. How are you doing? I'm good. So you're about to launch something you're calling Intelligence, and as luck would have it, that went live yesterday. Yep. So you want to tell folks a little bit about that before sure. we dive into some of the interview topics? Sure. So uh, Intelligent is uh, an online magazine and community that's dedicated to building a conversation around how to solve the talent equation, as I like to call it. Hiring pre-pandemic was challenging, and I fully expect that we're going to return to an environment like that. And I think so often there are groups that need to be communicating that don't do that very well. And they typically reside in the C-suite, in HR leadership, mm. uh, talent leadership. And I tend to separate talent out from HR because they're two really different functions. And then last but not least, third-party vendors on the outside, Robert Half Legal or Spencer Stewart or whoever you're using as your outside vendor. And what right. happens is those groups tend to talk past each other. So we found it intelligent with the idea that we would create a space where you could get information uh, as a practitioner or as a thought leader. You could get and share information in the magazine piece of this, but you could also be a part of a larger global community. Now, it's going to take some time for us to get to that place where I think sure. yeah. the information flow is what it needs to be to, you know, to really have a big impact. But, but I'm in this for the long haul because solving talent, solving the conversations that have to happen around talent particularly as Canada preferences change, uh, is really, really important to me. And I think there are a lot of groups out there who are doing some great work. Uh, the Society of Human Resource Management, SHRM, does some great mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. Um, Recruiting Intelligence, ERE, does some great stuff. But there are very few groups out there that are combining information from thought leaders and information from practitioners with a community and forum style that you can get in and talk not only with your peers, but with those thought leaders that you see on the site. And um, there's also a, uh, a job board in there, a very niche, very specialized job board for people who are looking for uh, impactful careers in HR and in talent. And so cool. I, I feel like we're doing something interesting, but you know how this stuff goes, man. It's it's so hard to know if it's if it's going to catch because there's so much noise out there. <laughs> there's so much out noise. There. Right. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and so it all comes back to is your content good? If your content is good, people will pay attention to you. And mm -hmm. that really kind of leads into you know, our discussion today that you and I had talked about. Well, before we get there, sure. um, I asked you to do this about a thousand times during the pre-show. <laughs> sure. How do you get to the site? How do you spell it? Because uh, you've got a little play on words going on sure, here. Sure. I just want to make sure people can find it. Sure. It's the combination of the words intelligent and talent. So intelligent. Uh, and it's a, a I don't know. Maybe some people think it's goofy. I just thought it was kind of a kind of a neat way to neat way to phrase it. It's at www.intelligent.com. And if you have any trouble uh, finding it, you can always reach out to me on uh, on LinkedIn. I'm more there than willing to, to have a conversation with anybody about it. Well, let's talk about this talent sure. acquisition thing, candidate preferences. You found a lot of interesting stuff in terms of like millennials, Gen Z, how they want to work, how they do work with law firms, mm -hmm. and there's a little bit of reticence 
to come in and work in a traditional law firm for, for sure. millennials and Gen Z, right? Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, you know, if you think about millennials and Gen Z, they, their formative years were really those times when we were going through some interesting financial times. Yeah. And, and they're also much more digital in nature. We refer to Gen Z as being digital natives, meaning they grew up in a digital world where they had a social footprint from a very, very early age. And those are the places where they interact and research companies. When you and I were coming up, and I'm significantly older than you, but, but when we were coming up in work, we looked at companies and we said, hey, you know, I could see myself working there for 10 or 20 years. Well, nobody thinks that way anymore, right? People look at jobs and they say, hey, this is a The step. gold watch program is dead, right? It's gone. It's yeah. gone. And, and nobody's really interested in that. In fact, you can look at the gig economy and you can see that people are beginning to gravitate to that work style because they want freedom. They want to be able to call the shots on when, where, and how they work. And yeah. what ends up happening in most... I, I say established larger firms is that they're very mature. They have a lot of institutional process. So that, right? that's a very nice way of putting it. <laughs> well, well, but I think, you know, I think that there's traditional old, <laughs> I think, yes. Well, okay. Yeah. I mean, I think you can, I think you can call it that. I'm, I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be polite, but it's, I know. But, and I'm not, no, <laughs> but you're when well, you are politically incorrect. And, um, but I think the challenge is, is when you, when you view a job as something that can only be done on site, yeah. you're going to struggle with moving to new paradigms, to new ways of working. And mm -hmm. when you communicate in a very traditional way with a group that doesn't communicate the same way a 57 or 65-year-old partner does, you're going to have problems connecting with them because you're talking about things that don't necessarily matter to them. Let me give you an example. Prior to 2020, the pandemic, mm -hmm. there was a kind of a slow, continuous movement toward the gig economy, toward work that could be done remotely, toward work that could provide more freedom and more options for candidates, right? 2020 flipped that on its head. It forced everybody to think differently. So, you know, when 2020 happened, courts shut down, right? That was exactly what happened. Then all of a sudden people figured out, hey, wait a minute, we can do some of these hearings by Zoom. Yeah. Right? Now you look yeah, at people- Yeah, your filters who, turned off. Exactly. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, right? But at yes. any rate, 2020 shifted the paradigm there. It sped up the ideas that remote work was not scary. It made it less concerning for people. It also created- new desires for people coming into the workplace. They wanted flexible work schedules. They wanted to be able to work when they wanted to work, where they wanted to work, how mm -hmm. they wanted to work. And so you're seeing that trickle over into the legal profession in law firms, particularly smaller law firms are, are going, you know, much smaller physical footprint. Uh, right. They are beginning yep. to look at flexible schedules as long as your work gets done we don't care. And there's new models coming out. People are beginning to go, well, is billable hours really the way for us to, to make this happen, right? Is that really the way we want to go? And the reason I bring these things up is you have to figure out how to package that in a way that allows you to talk to that attorney coming out of Michigan State or wherever, right, in, in law school, who might be interested in the partner track if they really understood 
everything that was involved. It was properly marketed to them, and they understood that they could still make that same impact versus having to go work at a social justice firm or something along that line so that they could have some kind of social impact in terms of what they were, what they were trying to do. So the way you catch this is kind of interesting. So on one side, the working models have to change to fit Gen Z and millennials. But on the other side of the coin, these generations are more suspicious of the traditional law firm partner than sure. ever before, right? So like, not only is it, do you have to get people in and enjoy the working model that you have set up, but <laughs> the first step in that equation is actually getting them interested in the job. And that sure. seems to be a challenge too, right? For sure. Look at your average, really senior partner in a law firm, right? Or, or someone who's very senior in a legal tech company, right? A lot of times, these people have been in the industry for an extended period of time, and they've done business a particular way. And that does not necessarily translate in terms of marketing jobs to candidates, right? It doesn't, they, they look at a partner and they're like, well, he's cranky, she's cranky, they're constantly busy, you know, right. they, they don't look happy yeah. at all. And they've got all this pressure on them. Why in the hell would I ever want to be a partner? Why would I want to do that? And you see law firm after law firm after law firm talking about the idea that we can't get people to stay on the partner track. They come in for two years and they're gone, right? Yeah. And, and the reason is they get in and it's unfulfilling. You have to be able to market to candidates today. You have to be able to talk to them where they reside, which is on social media. Mm -hmm. You have to have compelling messages, and you have to have things that are going to be of interest to them. People say all the time, millennials don't have the same work ethic. Gen Z doesn't have the same work ethic. That is, nothing could be farther from the truth. I, I totally agree. The difference is, they value different things than you do. Mm -hmm. And you have to figure out what they value, because today's candidate isn't like it was 25 years ago. You know, when somebody, when, when and I'm, I'm going to hate to drop names here, but when, when DLA Piper came calling, you went. Right. right? You right. went because that was that was your shot, right? And DLA Piper, I, I'm looking at their their website. Great law firm. I have a lot of friends over there. Yes. They have 468 videos up on their website, and the one of the most trafficked videos I saw took six years to get 50,000 views, and it was a video about a new associate, a trainee walking in. <laughs> so who's looking there at you that? Go. Yeah. Who's looking at it? It's the people that are new. Go and look at a video about a partner or look at a video about diversity. It doesn't necessarily carry the same kinds of things. People want to understand what the experience is going to be like being yeah. there. And I think, yeah. I think law firms and some legal tech companies really struggle getting no, that out there. I think like I think it used to be that like lawyers were comfortable with the work ethic being like roll up your sleeves and work hard until you die. But that's not the case anymore. I totally agree. But this is also a good reminder, by the way, for law firm partners out there. Don't look constipated in your website photos <laughs> because people are going to see that. Yes. I know you do a lot in terms of future of work. You think sure. about that a lot. That's a topic you're interested in. What are some predictions you have coming up? Oh, like, what's I'm in the pipeline that people should be aware of? <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a horrible prognosticator. I'm going to put I you think, on the spot. You're the Nostradamus yes, you. <laughs> of, <laughs> of legal hiring. <laughs> Nostradamus would be what that is. So just so we're, just so we're clear. Oh, um, yes. Yeah, oh, I love puns. Thank you for see, that. I know. I'm all about puns, man. Dad humor is my thing. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it's really hard because I think 2020 uh, upended the apple cart, right? I think it, I think it changed a lot of things. Um, yeah. I think that... I think that candidates are going to force what happens. I think law firms, 
legal technology companies, technology companies are going to be forced to reevaluate a few things. Number one, the type of uh, work environments that you provide. Does everybody have to be there? Can they work remotely? You're seeing companies now begin to move toward four-day work weeks, towards work anywhere programs as long as the work gets done. Um, that's that's number one. Number two, I think you're going to see all the things that people, I think you're going to see some bigger companies really, really, really struggle to compete with smaller firms. And part of that is, I think smaller firms are going to offer maybe a better culture for young attorneys. Right. Um, I think they're going to have a varied practice where they can do a lot of different things. And mm -hmm. I think you're going to see corporations move toward that which is going to, uh, in an effort to reduce legal spend, they're going to want to go to smaller firms. But that creates another conundrum, and that is how do small firms get themselves out there and get recognized? And so I think you're going to see yes. uh, law firms begin to adopt social media, hopefully in a much more effective way than they have to this point. Uh, mm -hmm. I think you're going to see gig work become a thing in the legal space, where you may bring in an attorney for a three-month contract, and then they go hike in Peru. Right. right. I think you're going to see right. a lot of that. I think there's going to be more of that, too. And I, I just, you know, whatever's happening in the rest of the world, you can count that legal will be four years behind. You can count on that. <laughs> I was going like, to say eight, but okay, well, okay. But I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking 2020 forced people to speed up a little bit. But you can look yes. at firms like, do you remember, do you remember um, you and I were at a legal tech in New York City, and we went yes. to a presentation at Davis Wright and Tremaine, mm -hmm. and they had a whole technology, a group called the DeNova Group that was out in Seattle and did nothing but look at technology. That's the other thing. Right that I think you're going to see law firms have to do. They're going to have to embrace technology in a way that they never have before and have been leery of, and that is mm -hmm. going to cause partners and senior-level people to have to get around and get all of the uh, staff attorneys marching in the same direction because you'll never be able to attract people from the younger candidate sets doing all your work in Excel. Yeah. It's just not going to happen. I think you make a lot of good points here, and I think I don't part know about of that. No, you totally did. Totally <laughs> did. Part of the thesis here, I think, is that law firms are traditionally managed by doing things that are easy or comfortable for the sure. law firms. And now I think law firms really need to start looking at, like, what do our clients actually want? Mm -hmm. What will our employees actually want? And I think a lot of what you're talking about relates to that latter component. So I think I thought this was really helpful. I appreciate it. No surprise. This is always a fun discussion. So um, that's Ron Godier from Hireworks and Intelligent. Intelligent's a new magazine and online community that launched yesterday. Mm -hmm. So check it out, intelligent.com. But hang in there, everybody, because next we have a very special guest. We'll take one final sponsor break so you can hear more about what our sponsors can do for your law practice. Then stay tuned for the rump roast. It's even more supple than the roast beast. Imagine billing day being the happiest day of the month instead of the day you dread. Nobody went to law school because they love drafting invoices for clients and chasing overdue bills. At TimeSolve, our attorneys have the tools to achieve a 97% collection rate. That means more revenue for the same work and turning billing day into happy day. Learn more about how to get to your time and billing happy place at timesolve.com. Now more than ever, an effective marketing strategy is one of the most important things your law firm can have, and Scorpion can help. With nearly 20 years of experience serving the legal industry, Scorpion has proven methods to help you get the high-value cases you deserve. Join thousands of attorneys across the country who have turned to Scorpion for effective marketing and technology solutions. 
For a better way to grow your practice, visit scorpionlegal.com. Welcome to the rear end of the legal toolkit, the rump roast. It's a grab bag of short form topics of my choosing. Today, we're going to revisit one of my favorite recent segments of the show that we've done. And one that I've actually heard a lot of positive feedback on. It's the return of career family stories. Last time we did this, I tried to couch it in terms of a game show in which I asked our guest, who was at that time Sarah Schaff of Headnote, whether the stories I was telling were real stories about my family or not. Spoiler alert, they were all real and they were all spectacular. So let's just drop the charade. Uh, to that end, I wanted to bring on a special guest today, as I alluded to, my brother, Patrick Korea. Patrick, how are you doing? I'm good. Uh, thanks for having me on the nepotism episode of this podcast. <laughs> In some ways, every episode is a nepotism episode. <laughs> <laughs> so Patrick Korea, formally, I call you Pat. He's going to fact check me on the stories I told previously. And then he's going to tell you a new one. And if you like this one as well, we'll come back with more family stories. I got a bunch of them. My family's kind of crazy. So just to recap, my last set of family stories were the following. Again, all true, all real, all spectacular. First, my backwoods hillbilly uncle took a bath for the first time in years and his fingernails fell off. Second, my grandfather had a backyard zoo, which included a lynx. We lived in a city of over 100,000 people, just for context. And lastly, my elderly aunt had sex in a bar on a pool table that I almost played on. Very traumatic years of therapy. So, Pat... Can you confirm that I wasn't making those stories up and that they are, in fact, true? To a certain extent, yes. Okay, uh, we, right. fact the, check me. Yep, the family member out in the woods, I, I just kind of have to go with uh, what we were told as kids, so I imagine that that's as correct. as it, The story that you told was basically the one that I've always heard. Parents never lie to you. Keep that in mind, kids. Okay, next. Uh, then there is our grandfather's menagerie. That's very <laughs> accurate. Um, I, I would just say that like you should have mentioned all of the other just ridiculous animals that he kept back there and, and just the ridiculous things. There, like, there are photos of us as children playing around what was an old still like for making shine <laughs> and we just played hide and seek around it and right. now going back looking at those photos it's insane the still is like two stories tall yes that's very true playing in the still just like children do these days and then <laughs> i mean he probably had a liger i don't know i didn't do a ton of investigating i was kind of afraid to do it i don't think a liger would have fit in the spot that this all took place in like to give a better context of, of how this existed it existed where we had a uh, family farm that extended ostensibly a city block and at the time the house the main house for the farm that was on the main road was all that was left of the property and it was all partitioned out to all these uh these other purchasers that kind of set up these uh these sort of ranch houses 50s style uh yeah and the area that Jared is describing is not the farm itself. It's a very small pocket, like in between the garage and the main house. It is not the farm. House, yeah. And then a house that now abuts it. It was Dickensian in how cramped it was. Imagine if you were like a neighbor and somebody's got like a 10 foot by 10 foot box and there's like peacocks around. Pigeons. It's just crazy. Lots pigeons, of pigeons, chickens, lots of pigeons. 
Yeah. Anything he could get his hands on, he used to catch snapping turtles with a yep. with a handkerchief. In I know how park. to catch snapping turtles now because of that. Yes. Yeah. My issue though with the third story is is interesting. So, so like before you start there, like I just want people to know, not only did you confirm my first two stories, but it actually turns out that it was worse than the way I told it. Okay. Now for number three. <laughs> So number three is very interesting in the fact that we have a um, a narrator that we can't really trust in you, as you're the one that you're kind saying of told I'm an us. unreliable narrator. Of course, wow. I, I've I've met you, uh, dude. So it's pretty we, harsh. Uh, so the the way that it happened was, or at least the way that I remember it happening was, you had gone to the bar to get. I guess, quarters for the table or something like that. Correct. And Dad and I had posted up at the pool table uh, to get ready to play a game. Because when you when you told this story initially, it sounded almost like a bar patron had turned to you and then been like, hey, you know what? <laughs> I fucked someone that you're related to, <laughs> like, where you're about to play pool. Which paints a very different picture and if from what i remember was the reality is the bartender and a patron were discussing th their their carnalities and you <laughs> and you just happened to overhear were were curious and inquired more and then you came over and informed us of the scenario and yeah I, we we did That's interesting we, we did stop playing after that, uh, not to shame anyone for what two consenting adults hey, do on a pool table. Is do fine. what you do, right? Do yeah, your thing. But, but more like we shouldn't play here right now. I'm not. It was. It's. It's a part of the area that they don't clean pool tables. I don't know if anybody does that, but they definitely weren't cleaning no. them overnight. You don't. You don't see pool tables being cleaned regularly at a dive bar. So that's interesting. I. Um, Maybe my memory is hazy, but I don't know if I'm the type of dude if two guys are talking to be like, hey, can you tell me more about the sex you've had? I don't know. Just not maybe that type of guy. But either way, like the majority of that story is true. Yes. Yeah. The only nugget that we're not sure of is who actually relayed the information to us. So thank you. I, I feel good. For an unreliable narrator, I don't think I did a bad job there. <laughs> Yeah, sure. If that's what helps you sleep, go for it. I'll sleep well. <laughs> Not on a pool table. Anyway, so you've got a family story that involves me and kind of makes me look like a dick, frankly. Oh, sure. Uh, so, and, and to help You people... answered really quickly. Oh, yeah, because, I mean, well, you are. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> and to help your listeners, I will just let my accent come out. I think that might oh, help yes. people along. Do it. Yeah. Do it. I I have a just just a heads up to anyone listening. I apologize in advance if you can't understand any of this. I have a bit of a thick accent, so I'm just going to let that go. It's, a, it's a technically a Maine Seacoast accent. Is it? I'm like I know that we sound like Herman Munster in Pet Cemetery, but I I feel like it's an older New England accent because I think I, it comes maybe. from our grandmother. Maybe I've heard Maine Seacoast, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I mean it's it's close enough where I can I can tell people like, oh no, you don't want to go up there. That's where the pet cemetery is. Right, I'm keeping you from telling your story though. So this is an opportunity to broadcast to the world of lawyers how much of an asshole I am. So oh sure, I, oh, okay. I, I yield the floor to you. All right. Uh, so what had happened was uh, we grew up in New Bedford, Massachusetts, and the closest kind of big ballpark to us was uh, McCoy Stadium over in Pawtucket. And uh, we had... Red we Sox were, farm team, AAA team played there. 
Yes. Yeah, and uh, now we, they're in Worcester. We, I just want to provide context to people. Oh, the Woo Sox. Yes. Yeah. Whatever. So the uh, so so we were going on this pseudo family trip with a family friend who we're going to call Mister LeBlanc and his family. Yes. And very nice. uh, I try my best. Uh, so it's our father and Mister LeBlanc who are driving this old Econoline, right? That was the type of van. Ford Econoline, windowless. Very questionable yeah. vehicle. With, I believe, four children in the back. So it was no the four seats, kids. no seat belts, <laughs> just the back of the van. Yes. The back of the van, just candy, and I, I imagine soda, like nothing really good for us in the back of that van. There were rugs. Uh, Mr. LeBlanc was a rug salesman, so we sat on the rugs, remember? <laughs> I don't. I don't because of the trauma that comes in later. <laughs> okay, go ahead. So, uh, so we're, we're driving to Pawtucket and that's, that's easily like a 30 to 40 minute drive, depending on the traffic. And yeah. I really had to go to the bathroom and, uh, Jared was, I, I asked him as my older brother. So it's, it's two, two families with their two sons going. And I asked Jared as my older brother to kind of be that I was like, Hey, could you please ask Mr. LeBlanc <laughs> to, uh, pull over so I can, so I can piss on the side of the road. <laughs> And Jared was very adamant about like, well, you know, if we stop, then we're going to be late. And if we're late, they're going to be pissed. And you don't want them to be pissed at you, right, for the entire game while we're sitting there the whole time. So they'll just hate you the whole time while you're sitting there. In my defense, and, this was Roger Clemens' rehab star. But go on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a good enough reason. Uh, so... So uh, Jared, Jared kind of put the fear of God into me in that uh, then I shouldn't have to ask to go after about a 40-minute drive of, of kind of holding it, once we got out of the van, I just unloaded and just, like, pissed the <laughs> hell out of these, out of, because it was it was also, like, the early 90s, so uh, that whole 80s culture had, had leaked Anything over. Anything goes in the early 90s. Anything. And I had, I had bright pink shorts that were then <laughs> drastically changed to dark red. <laughs> And uh, and it was very noticeable, and I it was. was just, uh, the, I believe, if I recall correctly, our father had gone to go and park the car, and our friend Mr. LeBlanc had stuck around with us. So now this guy, who is not our father, has to deal with this situation. He makes, <laughs> I guess, the best choice that he could make. I'm not uh, sure about that. I would debate that. Yeah, he decides that the best place to wash me off is in the trough urinals at Pawtucket. And we, we had discussed this a little bit earlier. It wasn't a trough. It was a trough urinal, but not a trough urinal that goes longwise. It was a circle trough urinal. Yes. And he just placed me in the middle of that <laughs> and and just like splashed toilet water from, on my pants from, from the urinal <laughs> from the urinal uh, to clean me off. And at at a certain point, our father finally catching up had walked into the bathroom to catch him in this position, and poor Mister LeBlanc. Just frantically waving, going like, I don't know how to explain what's happening. We can address it later. Like, let's let's get this kid sorted before we do anything else. And for people who don't know, like, I don't know, who was, who's stupid enough to invent a trough urinal? Like, it's the craziest thing. It's like Roman bathhouse time. There's like a circle. And I, everyone just stands around. There's like no shields or anything. It's crazy. You, you are preaching to the choir. <laughs> trauma 
Oh, yeah. I'm sorry I did that to you. Yeah, whatever. Mostly. Fine. Mostly. I'm mostly <laughs> sorry. I just thought, I just felt like this was an opportunity to say that. So thank you for coming on to share some family stories. I appreciate it. No, oh, thank you for having me. So thanks, Pat. Thanks, everybody. Now, for those listening in Oblong, Illinois, I know you're out there. Our Spotify playlist for this week's show covers some of the best songs about work. So listen up, because you're on the clock now. Our guests today have been Ron Godier of HireWorks and Intelligent. For more information about HireWorks, go to HireWorks.com. That's works spelled W-E-R-X. And for more information about Intelligent, go to Intelligent.com. My brother, Patrick Career, showed up for the rump roast. And he's the dude you definitely do not want to look up online. Unfortunately, we've <laughs> run out of time, and I won't be able to provide you with that one earth-shattering tip for mercilessly shanking your opposing counsel. Maybe next time. Now, that'll do it for another episode of the Legal Toolkit Podcast, where we'll snap and crackle, but we will never pop. <laughs> <laughs>